Hi, I'm Leslie Carrara Rudolph. I'm Lolly Lard Pop. And I'm Abby Kid Abby. And you're listening to Sci Fi Saturday Night with the Dome. <laughs> your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Welcome to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast coated with a thin candy shell to help augment your auditory experience. Tonight in episode 428, we look forward with great excitement to listening to people talk. Because that's what we do. On board for tonight's podcast, sitting in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night gaming console and help desk, our own back alley freeform fencing champion for the past three years, and prodigious prestidigitator of protons and electrons, Acreana. <laughs> She's there somewhere pressing a button. Please welcome Cyborg University's preeminent reference librarian, whose current contract requires an inch of standing water wherever she goes. She also thinks light sticks are magic and enjoys waterproof ukuleles, it's Zombrarian. I've actually changed that rider. You I have. no longer require the standing water. Well, that must make for much less dampness than before. I do now require at least an inch and a half of standing glitter everywhere. Ooh, I go. That I, I, I kind of like. I kind of like that. And things are going well in your in your new glitter palace. In the new the the glitter palace is the best. Excellent, and, and we will hear a story that's not genre specific to tell you later. Okay, cool. <laughs> and we will be hearing more about Zombrarian's new glitter palace in the coming weeks. Finally, the man who thinks that light sticks are magic, three card Monty is the work of the devil. It's our very own Booker. Joining us once again tonight, and it looks like we just can't get rid of him, it's Captain Cam. How you doing, Cam? I'm going for the hat trip here, Dome. You know, get three in yep. a row. It's, it's a hockey reference. I'll just uh, I'll skip it because that's about all I know about hockey. <laughs> and they have ice and sticks. Uh, yeah, there we go. Ice sticks and hat tricks. That's yes. a bad run. And me, I'm just a guy <laughs> who likes vintage TV, bad movies, good writing. They call me the Dome because that. What they've been calling me for years. On February 8th, 2019, the Kickstarter for Dreamforge magazine closed, and just about 200 people were the founders community of donators who wanted to see what a fantasy and science fiction magazine that looked towards a positive future might be. After its first year of publication, all the trials that come with producing a quarterly magazine in both print and e format, as well as a membership portal, we welcome back a good friend of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, Scott and Joe Noel, to talk about the successes of that first year and what may come in year two. 
welcome guys hi it's great to be back we really love the show and, and we're really honored to be called back again yep thanks for having well, us oh it's it's a pleasure to have you guys on for any number of reasons uh not the fact of which not the least of which is the fact that i have issue number four in my grubby little paws right now and uh if it's even possible that this could be issue number four is even more beautiful and and more fun than the previous three and, and i've noticed uh, that uh as we're moving forward into this uh each each magazine is is kind of having its own little identity does mm -hmm. that make sense yes yeah is that the plan from the beginning more or less um we one one of the things we've done is we've kind of subtitled each one um i believe the first was tales of hope in the universe and um this one is the risks of magic and hope um and i'm forgetting the titles of the ones in between the tales, of <laughs> tales, tales of kindred souls jane is reminding me here yeah. um and uh, that's a little bit serendipitous. Um, what happens is we're as we're reading for the magazines, we're kind of you know because we, we read for more than one at a time, and and we're kind of sorting stories and which stories would work well together. And and um, Jane especially tries to balance them out, you know, as she's laying them out in the magazine. And as we're going through that work, it it just seems that the stories are speaking to us. They're saying something. Um, By the way, and, uh, the, before before we get into that too heavily, um, the the graphic for issue four mm -hmm. uh the risk and magic of hope is phenomenal that cover i mean movie? yeah yes the cover Isn't graphic it? just wow who did that that is frank Scherter that did that he is a good friend of ours from maybe 30 years now um uh we work with him in computer games um late 80s early 90s kind of time and um he's a teacher now he teaches at um one of the technical schools here and we sort of pulled him back into illustration he's a cmu grad for illustration and um we're like hey frank would you like to do some art for us so every issue he's done something and his art is is outstanding but this one in particular the expression on the face the how dynamic the image is the colors uh we're going to have an article in the next month or so We'll have an article up on the website where he talks about his process of how he does it entirely. Cool. Entirely That's great. Yeah. Because you know, I, I when when it showed up in my uh, handy dandy little mailbox, and and I walked down to the road to get it, and I pulled it out, and of course it's wrapped in this beautiful plastic wrap so that nothing can get gouged <clears> and uglied <throat> out, which I really like as well. Um, I'm standing there by the side of the road, at the mailbox, freezing my ass off, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just enthralled by this cover. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. I would, what I would love to do <laughs> is actually make a, a, a copy of this cover to put into the post so that uh, the people here who, who are dumb enough not to have not subscribed to this yet can see what I'm talking about. It's amazing. It really is. I'm sure. I'm sure Jane can help you with that. Yeah, I'll get you. Anyway. One of the one cool. of the cool things. One of the cool things about the story itself, because that comes from a story in the magazine called Extremophile. Right, Extremophile. Which right. Was written by Robert Harpold, who I believe this might be his first um, first story in print. But he's a NASA engineer, and he his job currently he's flown like spaceships, like remote spaceships, but. 
Um, his current job is plotting trajectories back to the moon for the Orion missions. So, you know, it's it's really cool on a whole bunch of levels. Well, that that just strikes the absolute chord in me because that's that's the time I was growing up when when Apollo was mm-hmm. heading towards the moon and and you know I miss those days and I miss you, you know what there, there's the old what could have been um, Scott I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your little uh, soapbox that you have in every every issue of it. And it reminds me of, of what Stan Lee used to do. You know, he used to have Stan's soapbox in all the uh, Marvel comics. Um, in this one, you talk about the accelerating future. That's the title of it. And I just want to uh, grab a quote from, from the first paragraph here. As social media funnels us into partisan echo chambers, climate change takes its toll, technology eliminates privacy, and authoritarian regimes rise around the world on waves of self-centered populism. The situation looks grim. Boy, that's a great opening paragraph for an uplifting science fiction magazine. <laughs> well, and, you, and what, I, what I try to do in that piece is kind of give an overarching um, perspective to it. Because one of the things that people simply don't think think of a lot is how much time is involved in human history and you know even in our moment in history and what I try to do in that article is show that um, really a lot of the the technical development that humanity has gone through has been like in the last 500 years and even beginning to accelerate in the last 300 during the enlightenment but you know we've been around for um, you know hundreds of thousands of years a million years as a species and we've just gone to the idea of, of science and empiricism and being able to build tools and technology and, and all that stuff in, in an accelerating asymptotic curve that has just been the last couple hundred years. So when you look around today and you think, gee, how grim is this situation and how terrible is this situation? My thought is that there seems to be some overwhelming accelerating force that's pushing us forward into you know, a highly technical, highly prosperous future, regardless of what's happening right now. It, it would kind of be, if you were pessimistic about humanity right now, it would be kind of be like um, when the stock market crashed in 2007, 2008, and thinking, oh, well, that's the end of the economy. Um, you know, no, that's that's a perturbation, a little glitch. It's like the the upward the the upward trend is is uh, seems to be unstoppable. So so that's just kind of what I want to want to remind people of there. You know, you know, I, as I was reading that, and I, I, this may come as a shock to you, but I do uh, read from cover to cover. <laughs> When these puppies come in, because I really, really, really enjoy them. But I was reading um, The Accelerating Future. I hearkened back to the 70s uh, during, during my formative years when the government was wiretapping mm-hmm. and there were all kinds of privacy issues and you know, mail was being opened indiscriminately by by uh, government agencies and those kinds of things. And then, you know, as I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, Alexa, unlock the door for me, <laughs> Alexa. How much money is in my checking account? 
Alexa, why are you recording every goddamn word that comes out of my mouth? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, well, the, and the difference here, too, is that, you know, we invite that technology to, to track us and, and know our location and, you know, in exchange for whatever free service that they're offering us. So, you know, when the government was doing it, it was one thing. Now we freely do it. That's the scariest part is that we're actually passively inviting this in now. Yeah. yeah. And all of that is all of that is true. And, and it it's basically just that rather than be afraid of the future, step up and make the future what you want the future to be. It's like um, if there's consensus that, uh, you know, a police state with, with vast powers of monitoring or a commercial state with vast powers of monitoring is a bad thing, it's like change it. You know, it's like we made it. We can change it. We can. We can. And, and what makes, what gives me great hope is that the same person, me, who enjoys the work of Philip K. Dick because of its deep, vast dystopian future, uh, <laughs> also gets such joy out of the other side of that coin, which is what you guys bring to the table. Yeah, um... One of the things I'd, I'd like to share with you, I had, I had mentioned when we were interviewing for this that we had some surprises and announcements and that sort of thing. And you had the, mentioned that. I had so mentioned that. I, one think, of the, I think we have one of those coming up. Ah. Don't we? <laughs> one, of the, one of the coolest things that happened to us, and, and you're getting into the dystopian thing, uh, is really why I wanted to touch on it, because this is a somewhat uh, writer who's done some dystopian work. Um, but... In September, in late September, after our last interview, I received an email from Robert Silverberg. And it was it was kind of interesting. Now, for the, for those of you who, who he he is a bit of an old school science fiction author, for, so so for the newer readers uh, who might be listening, uh, Robert Silverberg's a multiple Hugo and Nebula Award winner. He's a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame and a Grand Master of SF, and he's now eighty four years old. Um, and I got an email in my box that, that was very short and it went something like this. It's like, not sure I sent this message to the right place, but, <laughs> but you probably know my work. I've retired. <laughs> from he said, <laughs> yeah, he said, said, I've retired from active writing, but I'd love to see a story of mine in your magazine. Do you want to discuss a Silverberg reprint? Oh God, no. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was our opinion too. Um, How exciting, right? So after verifying that I was indeed emailing with Robert Silverberg, <laughs> he um, he was kind enough to send yeah, us. There, there is that question, isn't there? <laughs> um, he sent us three stories to choose from. He knew we were he knew we wanted um, upbeat uh, material that, that we were looking at a hopeful future. And he sent us three tales to choose from, and we picked one called House of Bones that first appeared in 1988. Um, but we were we were absolutely thrilled, uh, you know, with with to, to simply get an email from him to, for one thing, and, and even to be that able we to, knew who we were and what our we, magazine yeah, was about. Like yeah. the, the, the one thing I was far too Star Trek st star struck to ask was, and how exactly did you hear about us? But um, so, so that was that was very interesting, and he may have more things for us uh, in the future as well. He um, he he just likes the idea of print magazines, and he likes the idea of what we're doing, and and he has uh, stories that he would uh, he would uh, be glad to talk to us about reprinting. So that will actually be coming up in issue five, 
um, here as we get into spring of the new year and we'll have our first Robert Silverberg story. Now, for, for those of you guys who, who want to subscribe to this, you need to go to dreamforge.com, find the subscribe button uh, and, and head over there. And it's, it's real easy. It's two clicks and a credit card. Uh, and for me, I, I'm about to hit the renew button because uh, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in year two. One quick so, correction there for you, though. It's dreamforgemagazine.com. Dreamforge Magazine. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. And look at the URL. Yeah, because Dreamforge is actually a gaming site. That's all. Dreamforge is a gaming site. Yes, we we named ours after the old computer gaming company we used to work for. We worked for Dreamforge Entertainment, and that was the nostalgia that made us name the magazine Dreamforge. And the other company that's Dreamforge is a is a tabletop gaming company, I believe. Miniatures. Miniatures. So as as we're looking through this, and I'm kind of meandering back into the whole collection of of the first year um jane you're you do most of the layout work don't you i, I do all the layout work um and some of the illustrations um we have like in addition to frank that we were talking about there before john blumen has illustrated for us a lot and cassandra bolin um she was a, a illustrator of the future elizabeth, um, leggett. elizabeth leggett's a yugo winning um illustrator so we've got some really fantastic illustrators that we work with some that we find through social media and things like that too and then um you know i take whatever they give me and kind of work with it and try very hard to make sure every story has its own personality um so it's like designing a logo for every story and and getting the colors down and and um you know, giving it a style that, that seems to fit the story. But literally until last year, or the beginning of this year, actually, you guys had never really put a magazine together. No, no, nothing no, like that. <laughs> no, we know, we, we know, and probably still know nothing about publishing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know design websites and, and uh, my, my background, um, when I went to school, it was kind of, you know, before computers. So I did learn um, design and, and layout, you know, in the traditional sense. Um, but I'd never used InDesign before that first issue. So it's a learning experience. So I, I shudder to ask this question because I don't think I've ever asked either of you this. But what made you think you could put out a print magazine? And well, I, and. <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> a really good question. Well, um, our day job is we we work. Um, we have a, a web agency that that uh, is ours, and um, one of the things we do in there is work with a number of of nonprofits and people around our local community. and And we were working um, about a year ago with a local magazine that um, uh, was was putting out some articles and that sort of thing, and we were writing an article for them and. When they realized some of our capabilities, they basically said, "Well, why don't you lay out, you know, lay out your own um, piece in in the magazine?" And and uh, Jane and and some of our people worked on doing that, and that was working out pretty well. And we got uh, in touch with the person who was publishing the magazine and just talked about the process. And I talked to some local printers here, and and that sort of thing. And and you know, there there was an emotional impetus to it, and just just wanting to put out something more positive and hopeful. But the idea of putting out a magazine after talking to these people was 
was pretty much, you know, I, I think we have the skills and the skill sets and, and the tools that we need to, to be able to do this. So, you know, why don't we, why don't we just give it a try? Yeah. One of, one of, our, one of our good friends is Mark Singarelli. He did the, the SID um, on issue two. He did that cover and um, he's the reason that we've gotten some of the artists of the caliber that we've gotten too, because um, Mark's been a friend of the family for a long time and, and he has a lot of credibility in the industry and a lot of knowledge of people and, and know-how and that combined with Jane Linsgold acting as our senior advisor that's really what gave us some sense that you know we weren't alone in trying to pull this off yeah well what I'm what I'm hearing is you you got a lot of good friends yeah we got <laughs> a lot of good friends yeah but yeah. but you really can't do anything without a lot of good friends, actually. <laughs> it, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, for sure. But, you know, this, some of the choices that you made, like really slick, glossy magazine cover, uh, the the interior is all, um, God, I don't know how to describe it, but it just kind of jumps out at you. So that in, in putting this together, you've either guessed right so many times it's not funny or <laughs> it's a but, lot of work I mean, but, but it is it's, it's i have a design experience that like i know what design is supposed to be and i remember like realms of fantasy was always one of my favorite magazines because it looked pretty and that looked pretty was more important to me than it was probably to scott because he's more about the words and and like you know, I wanted it to be colorful. I wanted it to be pretty. I wanted every story to stand on its own, you know, look wise. And, and, and I, I hate books that they're magazines where you start the story and then it's continue on page, whatever. And, you know, it, it loses continuity and stuff like that. And that's what, those are some of the things we didn't want to do. And in honest, case honest to God, Jane, but you, 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 you're making a really, really good point in that it looks pretty. And because it looks pretty, it's comfortable to sit with and read, if that makes any sense at all. It does. And and, and even like the font size um, was one of the considerations because, you know, we're not so young anymore. And and you want something. Uh-huh. That's Don't tell me about yeah. it. Neither am I. <laughs> you want something that's comfortable to read. And, and yeah. you know, we wanted to create a piece that people weren't going to say, well, I, I'm done with that. I'm going to toss it. We wanted to create something that they wanted to put on their bookshelf and keep. And I was talking to Jane about this uh, not not that long ago, and and uh, you know it's probably not a big secret, but she doesn't actually get paid for doing any of this. <laughs> so um, you know it's like, well, you know, you know, she can't afford of, me. Yeah, anyway. I couldn't afford her anyway. But like, you know, why are you doing this or whatever? And I, I think one of her answers was basically, well, who else would let me lay out a magazine and do whatever I wanted to do? So yeah, you know, so that. it's 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 a creative. Uh, you know, passion endeavor where where she gets to bring this beauty and and layout art and and stuff to to life, and I think I think she really loves it. Well, it would be the same guy who has made a turned a passion project into an incredibly positive magazine. That would be the guy who would let her do whatever she wants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would probably be true. <laughs> and we we actually we actually try to do that a bit with our with our um, illustrators as well. Uh, we don't try to micromanage the illustrations. So so when you see the the illustrations and the wonderful art they put together, we 
basically what we'll do is we'll take the story and we'll highlight some areas where the story might describe some things. Uh, and then we'll simply, you know, let them take the vision wherever it takes them. And that would include, you know, Frank's art for uh, the cover there. That's nothing mm-hmm. like I envisioned, you know, coming out from the story. I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought we might see a spaceship or a guy in a suit or something. But but um, just the the one astronaut trapped in the ice and, and the other one reaching for him. And, you know, it, it, it also brings out some points in the story that, that you'll know if you, you read the story. But... But I would never have envisioned that piece, and and that's a lot how we get back a lot of the illustrations. Yeah. It's like it's like they're surprises when we see them. Yeah, like like some some of the um, artists will come back with a couple of thumbnails and say, "What do you think of this or this?" But we don't really want, you know, we'll we'll give feedback on that kind of thing, but we don't really want to say, "Here's our idea, draw it," you know, that that kind of thing. We want to get from other people because. I mean, when you get somebody like with the talent of Frank or, or John Blumen or somebody like that, I mean, let them run. And they're going to do it better than anything I could have come up with. And we're going to um, have something very special coming up in issue five here in the, in the spring, too, that does with illustration. Uh, we just over the weekend um, signed Chaz Kemp to uh, illustrate a cover for issue five because we've um, we've purchased a story from, from a wonderful author named Deborah David. It's called terrors of the caribbean and it's a it basically is a time traveling story with pirates and dinosaurs and a socially conscious twist and we we have um <laughs> we, okay for dinosaurs and pirates i knew he was gonna buy that story so 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 imagine you know Anne bonnie uh the pirate riding a pterosaur um, and the way the author describes the pterosaurs, they're, they're not only the winged dinosaurs we're all familiar with, but she describes them the way modern uh, paleontologists look at them as having feathers and bright colors. And so you've got these these brightly, you know, colorfully um, dressed pirates and these really bright, colorful uh, dinosaurs. And Chas Kemp is his his art is all about color and light and brilliant color and vibrant vibrant feels like stained glass to things and and so we're we're really excited to see what he'll turn out yeah we saw his artwork when we were in albuquerque and just fell in love with it and knew right then just based on his artwork he was the one we wanted for that piece you had had and bonnie (laughs) (laughs) now didn't Chaz just um win a stoker award in 2012 yes he did actually i'm just looking at it right now so yeah good good research there <laughs> thank you jane, it, it, I... happened very quick. it happened very quickly i can do that <laughs> jane can thank i ask you a quick question sure um you you did the art on cessation of civilization I did. How did you come up with the concept? Because I love it. I love the. It doesn't. It it doesn't take over the whole page, and yet it. Because it, it was funny. I was just flipping through it the first time through, and just going, and I got to that one, and I, what I thought I saw were evergreens, and you know, Christmas balls, and I was going, oh, it must be a Christmas story, obviously. <laughs> and then I read it, and going, oh, this is not a Christmas. It's still a good story, but it's not a Christmas story. And so it's just, guess, how did you come up with these pages? It's like a Christmas story. Well, again, it's reading through the story. I, I really like the story. I like the illustration to really work with the story and not do something wrong with it. So it was really trying to get, like, images that, that kind of worked with what she was trying to do. And I wanted her 
civilization there with a little note paper stuck in it to be the primary focus. And then I wanted that sense of there's a whole garden. There's this whole world out there, universes out there in all these bubbles. And I didn't want them to all be the same color, but I didn't think about them being um Christmas ornaments. Christmas ornaments. <laughs> yeah. I, I started like with a banana tree and a oh I think it was a soap bubble and a banana tree and then I made little parchments and painted it up and that kind of thing. It, it comes out looking really good, and especially because it doesn't, the first picture really doesn't give anything away, and it isn't until you get to the second picture, like you said, where you've got the parchment stuck in, mm -hmm. and I won't give away anything about the story. Everybody has to go and read this one. Um, it's that it, 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 you really then see how, the, how everything that you just drew in the first picture, and then definitely in the second picture, fits in with the story. Cool. Yeah, that's always what's what's important to me is that it it adds to the story. And she, in particular, was one of the um, the authors are not used to seeing their works illustrated, so we do get a lot of comments back. But she was um, particularly pleased with with that one. So now we do have a layout challenge upcoming for Jane. Um, in in issue five, one of the things we're going to have is a poem by a young engineering student uh, from India, because we do have international appeal. And his name's Aditya Deshmukh. And what he's done, which I couldn't believe, um, he's written a poem for us. Now, knowing him a little bit, because he's our first, one of our first-line readers, he's, he's really into the darkness and um, not necessarily horror, but, you know, apocalypse, despair, you know, the void, that kind of, that, that's his thing. But we seem to attract those people, even though we're a hopeful magazine. And what he did for us he was he wrote a 26-line poem that basically, as you read down through it, um, brings all that darkness and all that despair out. And the last line is actually, it's too late and death is already here. Now, the really cool thing is that if you start at the bottom with that line and read up, the entire sense of the poem reverses. Same words, but you just read it in reverse order, and now uh, it becomes a defiance of apocalyptic thinking and the assurance that we can overcome everything that's been, everything that might come against us. So it, it's really amazing that he was able to do that. And I'm really curious as to how Jane is going to lay that out. I'll bet you are. <laughs> I'm curious, too. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how that works out. But it is such a fascinating thing is to try to, to make something like that work graphically. That'll be a fun one to work on. Now, now, Jane, I had another question for you. And it looks like you're turning out to be the question person today. Okay. Um, in Issue four, you did the graphic for The Last Petal by Anna Madden. Mm-hmm. Um, did you read the whole story before you did it? How oh, did you come up with this idea? Multiple and, um, I, I, I read most of the stories a couple of times, and, and then, you know, we're, we're going through them and even highlighting them for illustrators and stuff like that. And um, that one... I'm not really an illustrator like these other people can like sit down and just illustrate. I am a designer. So I approach illustration through design as well. And I knew with his name being Hawthorne, I wanted Hawthorne flowers in it. And because the very first line is talking about hands, I knew hands were going to be a, a big part of that um, concept that I wanted to get across. So I wanted um, um, the centaur there. And I found an image that was, you know, it's a stock photo. We, we use stock photos in artwork all the time of a man in a T-shirt that was holding 
his hands over his face that I absolutely loved the sense of anguish that you got from that. Mm-hmm. So I found a centaur and said, okay, now here's a centaur body. Here's this guy's head. Let's paint them all together. And I wanted her hand in it as well. So it's, I, I, I work in Photoshop by piecing together things. And, and then I did a layer of painting um, over top. But the, the concept really came from that initial stock photo because it was it's the one that had the emotion in it that, that I was looking for. So let me tell you what happened to me with this story. So I get to page 16, and I see the title, and then I'm staring at the illustration and staring and staring. And then I read the first two lines of the story. Miss Lily Dale preferred hands to faces. Hands told a story that faces could hide. And and I just closed the magazine and thought about that for a couple of minutes (laughs) and, and related it back and forth from the words to the picture, to the words, to the picture, and said to myself, well, now this is a story I have to read, and it's thanks to you. Wow, thanks. Yeah, I, I knew that 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 hands thing was such a powerful piece of that, um, and the way it ends and the, the the whole part of the story. I mean, it kind of mm-hmm. she, she works it in really well, and um, and I knew that was going to be an important part of it, and and that's why that's that particular photo that I found was you know. The hey, can I for me. Can, can I be totally honest with you mm-hmm. that I didn't realize that her hand was in there until about ten minutes later. Wow. I never saw I never saw her hand there. Ditto. I guess I should have moved it in more. <laughs> no. It was absolutely perfect. When my eyes just kind of go ahead, Ken. Oh no, I was just gonna say my eyes were drawn to those hands over the face. Um, like my sister will always talk about because she does illustration where your eyes are drawn mm-hmm. in a picture, and my eyes were immediately drawn to the hand over the face. It even took me a couple seconds to realize that this wasn't a human, but a centaur. When my soul right. worked my way down through the body, I'm going, oh, wait a minute, abs and fur. Oh, wait a minute, centaur. <laughs> but, but the first thing I saw was hands over face. And that's where my eyes were just instantly snapped, drawn to. Oh, that's great. I appreciate it that. Was, Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's part and parcel of what I think makes this project a very, very special project in that it's a, it allows an interaction uh, between artist and writer, between reader and writer and artist and reader uh, that you don't get all that often. I mean, you get it like in a graphic novel where everything is slammed at you, or you get it in something like this where there's such subtlety to the illustrations, all of them across the board, uh, and and a, a subtlety to the craft of putting this thing together uh, that makes me look at the calendar and go, is the new one ready? Hello? <laughs> what am I waiting for? Well, well, one of the things we need we need to announce uh, as well here uh, is next year 
We're actually only going to do three issues. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's not fair. Sorry. No, and I do. Uh, the reasons for that are, first of all, as I mentioned, we have day jobs, and getting this out, uh, four issues, really killed us this year. And one of the things that, that you're kind of alluding to there but that we didn't get to do and that we really want to do is, is we didn't get to talk to our illustrators enough. We didn't get to talk to the writers enough. We, uh, so what we want to do in the new year, we want to we make a little space for ourselves to do a lot more interviews, um, to talk about these stories, um, you know, to, to research things about illustration, just do things like we call hope notes that talk about what's going on. It's good in the world. And, and we think we'll have a little more time to do that if we just space the magazines out a, a bit. So, um, the well, other thing see, we, that's why you need a job like mine where yeah. that's all you do. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, we think we, we've cleverly, we've cleverly designed it. So by the end of uh, 2020, everybody will be on the same footing. So as we move into 2021, everybody who subscribes will be renewing at once. So we'll, uh, that'll, that'll be interesting Kickstarter, which by the way, we're going to do another Kickstarter this year too. So, uh, that, that'll probably be in mid January to mid February. To boost up subscriptions at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, I, there's, there's just tons of money in publishing. So, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> About as much as there is in podcasting, yep, let yep, me yep. tell you. <laughs> so, so we're going to, we, we really had good luck with our Kickstarter last year. So um, we're going to be um, making people aware of it again this year through Kickstarter. We're going to be reaching out to all of our current subscribers. And we still we still have a trickle of subscribers that come in all the time. We, we I just had, you know, two new subscribers today. Um and, um, you know, as we go to conventions and as we make people more aware of it, the, the biggest thing I see in publishing for any, any young aspiring publishers out there is just um, the cost of marketing. Um, that's the thing that, that will kill you. It's like getting the word out. There's so much else going on. Uh, we were, you know, we were talking about before we started the show, we were talking about watching The Expanse and that sort of thing. There's just so much good television. There's so much good reading. There's so many great novels out there. Uh, so many people trying to make magazines that that even when you're doing something that's that's really good, just getting people's attention is is the hardest and most expensive part. So, um, you know, as as time goes by, one one reader at a time will uh, will grow our subscriptions. Yeah, because we have a lot of people through Kickstarter that maybe wouldn't have heard of us any other way. Um, so that's what we definitely wanted to reach back to that audience again and see if we can pick up some more people. Probably not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. Uh, and and wherever we go in the in the convention space, uh, we bring along some of your wares with us to kind of toss at people and go, "Hey guys, check this out. You're going to enjoy it. If you enjoy us, you're going to definitely enjoy this." That's awesome. We the the support from the community has really kind of blown us away because our our background is more in business where it's more competitive. Um, and just the, the support that we've gotten from the authors and the illustrators and, and the other editors in, in the industry and stuff has just been, it's just been amazing. A lot of, uh, a nice pay it forward kind of attitude and, and, um, you know, just advice, help, um, you know, promotion, things like what you're doing there. Um, it's just amazing. One of the totally makes it worth it. It, it does. does. One of, one of the things really just does. to mention real quick, and is along those lines of the support we get from the community, but another husband and wife team um, uh, run Space and Time magazine, uh, Angelique Rico Smith and, and her husband. And 
we've worked together with them now to create a kind of joint venture that uh, basically readers can subscribe to the magazine they want to support with their dollars and they can receive the other magazine digital version for free and they can do all that in in our readers portal so um you know that also is is really cool and i even today i received um uh, an inquiry from another small press publisher about um trying to do that thing of cooperating and building community and sort of sort of thing so so that's that's really cool and and we just love you know working with these people well we are one year into what is essentially the grand experiment what would you change that you did this year what could you do differently and what have you liked the most oh boy um well, that's why I get paid the big bucks. Yeah, I, I, do that. Well, it, I think we've hit on some of the things that I think are, are the community is definitely a big thing. And, and getting to know some of the people we've gotten to know um, has just been amazing. Um, and the uh, the creativity of it is is pretty exceptional. I mean, you know, we're we've published maybe I don't know how many stories. We didn't really count how many it was for the first it's year. It's got to be above 40. Um, but we read many, many more than that. And there are a lot of talented people out there. Um, you always hear the thing about slush piles and it's kind of derogatory about slush piles. There's a lot of really good stories out there. Um, you just can't print them all and, and they aren't all right for, for the tone of what we're doing. But there's a lot of good stories out there. And, um, you know, being a part of that experience and creativity and, and you know, seeing that talent and, and stuff like that is really pretty awesome. I don't know that, you know, we changed much. I, I would just say that, that it was a learning experience. We, um, you know, now we, we know um, all the obstacles that we're up against, but, um, you know, we're really sure that um, we want to do, you know, the, the kind of color, the kind of illustration we have, you know, the, the quality of the, the paper product. It's like our year has convinced us that, that we definitely want to stick to that. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I think we've picked, you know, a lot of the right kinds of stories that, uh, have, have gotten one of the things that, uh, you know, just in terms of reviews, I think reviews have been very kind to us on like tangent online and SF review. And also last week we had a request from, um, best American science fiction and fantasy, which is published by Newton Mifflin Harcourt and edited by John Joseph Adams. And, they requested EPUB copies of our issues because they're working on the sixth volume of Best American Science Fiction. And now we might not have anything that makes nice. it a selection process. You know, they they may pass us by, but they asked. They wanted to see this stuff, and, and we were really excited to be considered. And um, That's half the battle right there, absolutely. <laughs> and one of our stories, A Sip of Pombe by Gustavo Bondini, we noticed that that's on the uh, – science fiction and fantasy writers of America that's on their reading list for uh, Nebula Award stuff. So, um, you know, I think we we quickly found that the stories we like are appreciated by by other people as well. And and we hope to continue um, choosing some some really good tales. And as for what we want to do next year, I think that the idea of going down an issue is to give us a little more time to um, build our email lists better, um, to do more um, the kind of things I know, like I, I really like, and we do have it more on the website than in the print magazine about the authors and, and about the illustrators and, and about the process and, and stuff. And I know like when I watch 
movies and and stuff i want to watch that dvd extra and i want to hear how did they (laughs) you know and and i I want us to have some of those dvd extra kind of concepts happening um where we're we're building that community a bit more if you could and here's here's my suggestion uh, from an idiot's point of view uh you might actually mention in the magazine to find out more about blah 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 check out the website I have it in a few little places where I have some room, but maybe I should do that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Because that would create a kind of a synergy between the the hard copy and, and the web portal and give people a, a real chance to uh, expand their mm-hmm. their information. It's been a great year watching you guys and, and working with you guys. I, I had the feeling... When I saw the Kickstarter in in January of this year, that uh, this had the potential to be something special. And then Scott talking with you at, at the very beginning, it was kind of uh, solidified for me that this was something that was going to be very, very different and, and very, very fun. And it's been that and a whole lot more. The magazine is Dreamforge. It's at dreamforgemagazine.com. Scott and Jane are the Knowles who do the, the, the yeoman's work of putting together not just the hard copy, but also the, the e-universe that surrounds it. If you've missed the first four issues, you need to go back and read them. No, you cannot borrow mine. <laughs> Sorry, uh, <laughs> because mine are sitting right here on my desk right now where they belong. Scott, Jane, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCon, Plastic City Comic Con, and BooksandBooze.com. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book idea for the rapidly approaching National Punctuation Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. My Particular Family, the audiobook, is also available on Audible, because I'm not really sure where else you could possibly find an audiobook these days. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. It's the hot. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Librarian. Thank you so much, ladies. And from his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy, and stay strong, Liz. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night, everybody.